Well, if you guys think you need to get used to it, <laughs> I've never stood at the bottom of a theater before, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, thank you guys, you know, for the flexibility, for, uh, for the promptness, uh, especially everyone that helped out this morning, how everything came together. Excellent stuff. Awesome. Um, that means I don't have to come and manage everything and I can sleep in. So thanks, especially, you know, Carl and everyone. I'm kidding. Um, not really. A uh, couple different things that, that I, that I want to take note of um, is uh, obviously we have two services before our actual relaunch service. Okay, the relaunch services we're, we're, we're trying to invite the community to. That's why the poster out there says the 18th. Uh, the manager even asked me, but you're starting today. Well, yeah, but we want a couple. We want a couple go-rounds before we invite everybody and, you know, in case the sound goes out or I trip on a cable or who knows what's going to happen today. Um, but a couple things to keep in mind is that um, we want to kind of try to fill this bottom portion. Um, our, it, it, that's the second thing. We want to try to fill the, the bottom portion um, and, and reserve that top piece for when we get enough people to actually need to do that um, because... A few people strewn throughout a whole, you know, they actually offered me auditorium five, I think, and it's like, you know, 600 chairs. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, that would just be, there'd be people up in the corner and it would just be crazy. So let's try to keep it down here and move in. Um, when you walk in and you sit on the end, you're asking everyone else to trip over you to get to their seat. Um, so we don't want to do that. We want to be inviting. We want to be welcoming. Um, so use the bathroom, get your drink, do everything you need to do so that when you sit down, you could just kind of hunker down with us uh, for the service and not have to get up and trip over people too much. Um, so this bottom part and move it on in and we'll, you know, we'll have a brigade of people reminding you in the morning. So, but thank you for coming. Uh, please grab your Bibles if you brought them. If you didn't, we don't have Bibles yet. We're working on that. I mean, we have Bibles, but we have to figure out how to get Bibles uh, to people who didn't bring them. But if you didn't, um, if you, you know, listen, I'll be reading and explaining out of Ephesians 6. We're in Ephesians 6, uh, second to last in our series through Ephesians. Um, as I was preparing for this message, I just am reminded of the weight that I think was on Paul's heart as he wrote this final chapter to this book. Um, almost a desperate plea. Guys, you're in a battle. Guys, you are in a fight for your lives. And I think sometimes Christians get a little too, a little too comfortable. Um, I'll put it this way. Not every Christian will make it. I put Christian in quotes. So I think true believers are the ones that persevere to the end. But you know, you walk into church on Sunday and you got your Bible, you do Sunday school, you, I mean, you help out, you're, you're involved, you, you do Christian things, and you, you've got a Christian quote above your kitchen or dining room, you know, you've got a verse on your bumper sticker, and there's a lot of things that, are, that come with Christian culture, and we say, yeah, we're Christians, but I think in the end, it'll prove to be that many who say they're Christians really didn't have it. They kind of walked in the church and they kind of ended up walking out or they it fizzled out. It was a fad for a little while and then it didn't last. The book of Hebrews, it's a, it's a crazy book. It's, it's hard to get through it. There's five breaks that the author says. Time out from what I'm writing and I just got to warn you guys real quick. 
Five times throughout the book of Hebrews, the author takes a time out to warn you about falling away. Yeah, you come to church and you worship with everybody and you listen to the sermons, but are you really? Will you make it? John writes his letters and he says, there were people that were a part of us and then they left and they weren't a part of us anymore because they weren't a part of us to begin with, truly. And, you know, the elders, we don't have x-ray vision. We can't see spiritually who's really the real deal and who's not. Peter says, watch out, there's a, a devil. He's, he's walking around like a lion, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may maim, wound, no, devour. What does that mean to be a Christian who ends up getting devoured? You ever watch the National Geographic channel and you got the pack of gazelles going across the plains and one of them is kind of straggling behind because he's too young or he wasn't paying attention and that's the one they pounce on? He doesn't join the pack again later. He didn't have a bad week. He's devoured. This Bible talks about this reality where some people, they, do, they, they speak Christianese, but they're not, they're not in it for the long haul. They don't press towards that prize. They don't win the race. They don't finish. Paul's talking about standing versus falling. Guys, you need to stand. So when the day of temptation comes, you can stand. As opposed to what? Falling. As opposed to getting knocked on, uh, off the track. Standing. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil like a spirit, the devil like the Hollywood movies. No, listen, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Real spirits, real forces, powerful, and they know how to make people fall. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. When's the evil day? Anytime evil comes at you, every time the enemy attacks, every time there's a temptation. Uh, that's the evil day. Having done all to stand firm, stand your ground. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So he talks about this armor. And we've mentioned this is Jesus Christ. This is not you go to family Christian bookstore and the third shelf on the left, you can get a breastplate of righteousness. And, you know, if you save up enough money, maybe you'll get the helmet of salvation, but that can come later. This is all one thing. If you know Jesus, he's your armor. It's not you go get it, let's go home. And if you read enough verses, suddenly you have your feet shot with the preparation. No, it's Jesus. If you know Jesus, this is how you're covered. This is how you put on Christ. And he talks about the shield. When those flaming darts come at you, it's doubt. You know, you're going through a hard time. God isn't good. Uh, you're going through a tough situation. God doesn't, God doesn't want you to, to you know, he, it, he's lies, it's deceit. The shield of faith is the faith that I believe what God said is true, even though the circumstances around me say the opposite thing. And after he goes through all the pieces of the armor, there's a helmet, breastplate, a sword, a shield. I mean, he's just kind of going through the, the Roman armor kind of thing. If you've ever seen Gladiator 
and Russell Crowe's outfit in the beginning, that's exactly what is in Paul's mind when he describes this stuff. And kind of, you know, when we have the Christian flannel grass, we kind of do like the, I don't know, some corny armor or something. I mean, it was just the, the Roman gear. Then as he gets to the end, you need to take up this stuff, guys. You need to take up these weapons. You need to take up this armor. And then, and then the verse starts getting difficult, if you're like me. Because he says, Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit. When he ends this, Paul puts prayer above everything else. Above each of those pieces of armor, he puts prayer above all that. Prayer tops the list. Here's why I say it gets difficult. Let's be honest. Prayer is tough. You know, somebody was sharing with me the other day, you know, I just, I just want to, I just read about Jesus, how he goes into the mountain and just spends hours in prayer. And I want to do that every day. Just pray, you know, just pray and pray. And I just felt like going, <laughs> join reality, man. You're not going to pray for hours a day. You know, we set ourselves up, you know, I'm going to be spiritual and just start praying all day. You know, I'm going to go be a monk, live in a hermitage, quit my job. I don't know. If you're a normal person like me, you're not praying five, six hours a day. It's hard for me to pray one hour. I've got to be desperate. Something's got to be going on for me to just a solid hour, just nothing but, God, please, you know, that's, that's hard. But the reason why I say it's difficult is because that's what he says. He doesn't put a time on it, pray for this many hours or pray for this long. But he says, praying at all times, praying at all times. There's a reason why I say he puts prayer at the top. And we'll look at that in a second. But um, we devalue prayer. Prayer is one of those things that we believe in theory is important, but in reality we don't practice it. So do we really believe it's important? You know, the, the, the example I thought of is flossing. You know you need to do it. How many of us in here floss regularly? I mean, I get nailed at that every time. I go, okay, thank you. Thank you. You can leave. You're good. You don't need, you don't need to hear this message. Uh, every time I go to the dentist, they're like, well, no cavities, very nice. Um, I'm like, great, you know, that's awesome. All this time, I've never had any cavities. They're like, no, you know, you don't need any root canals, you don't need any of this, you don't need any of that, but you're not flossing. Like, you've got to floss twice a day. You, you've got to do, and I'm like, yeah, I know. Okay, I will. Then I go home and I floss for a couple days, and then I'm like, yeah, this is, I'm not flossing. <laughs> I mean, something's got to really be like, you know, bothering me for me, like, let me go get a floss, but just, you know, for nothing, just out of habit, just to, just to floss, I don't do it. Um, why? If I were given a, a, an exam about dental hygiene, it's a, you know, what are three things that you should do? I, you know, brush my teeth, you know, floss, that'd be number two. I know it, but I don't floss. It's hard to do something that in reality, in real life, you don't think it's necessary. You don't, you don't see the need for it. I mean, if something's really pressing you, you know, your, your son is in the hospital diagnosed with something, suddenly you're a prayer warrior. And then when that's not happening, everything, oh, all right, back to real life, and then prayer goes out the window. Why? Because you don't, you don't see the need for it. Maybe you come into church and you hear a sermon about prayer. And the pastor's like, you guys, we need to be praying. And then you feel kind of guilty. And you're like, yeah, that's true. I need to be praying. Then you go home and just like flossing, you do it for the first night. You wake up in the morning and you do it. Oh, I made a commitment. And then you, 
and then by the next day, you're not, you're not praying because you don't, there's a guilty tradition factor. I'm Christian. This is what I'm supposed to be. We're supposed to be praying people, but I don't really see the need for it. You can show me the medical charts and you can show me how this floss is nice and glidey and you can show me how it comes in a new cool package. And so at the end of the day, I don't care. I don't want to floss. It's hard. Sometimes prayer feels like you're just talking to a wall. You know, we wish we could go back to the Old Testament times where Moses spoke face to face. Well, no one else did. That was just Moses. It wasn't about Old Testament times. It's always been the case that prayer is uh, based on faith. Who are you praying to? Is he listening? That's the shield of faith. You take it up and say, I believe he's listening. I believe someone's listening to me right now. I believe it's not just someone. It's the one that died for me and the one that gives me victory. Prayer is important. Here's how we know prayer is this important. The word prayer in verse uh, 18 grammatically is the same as in verse 14 when he says stand. So he's got two commands. Stand, guys. Stand your ground. And then he just describes it. What is it like to stand? I mean, you put on this armor and it's, it's peace. It's righteousness. It's opposite from the world. It's, it's, it's faith. It's a shield of faith. It's sword of the spirit. And pray. Praying is the same, it matches grammatically the same word as stand. It's two points. I want you to stand. How do you stand? All this armor and stuff. And then guys, pray. If you don't pray, you're not going to stand. Another reason why we know is because he doesn't attach a piece of armor to prayer. You know, it's not the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, and then the spear of prayer. Why didn't he say the spear or the lance, you know, or the uh, catapult or the horse or, I mean, something else. I mean, the Romans had other things. The slingshot maybe of, of prayer. He goes, no, 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 no. This isn't like a piece of the armor. I'm not describing that anymore. Now I'm talking about what you need to do in order for any of the armor to be effective at all. You don't just go, oh, I'm a Christian. I have armor. Cool. And then walk around through life. No, you pray. It's like a soldier. He's got his, his M16 and his bulletproof vest, and he's got the Kevlar helmet, and, and he's got all the equipment and the boots and the communication device and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, he's, he's just walking around just looking at the sky, and he's not engaged in the battle. That's a non-praying Christian has all this equipment. It's not engaging. And so he says, take up the sword, take up the shield, and then just pray. Prayer is not something else you take up. It's, it's, it's what you do so that everything else is effective. And look at how he emphasizes prayer with the word all. Listen, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And the Greek word for all is all. Sorry. I mean, all. I mean, it's just like all the time. All the prayer requests that you can think of, all the petitions. What are the things I should pray about? All of them. Should I pray this or this? Yes. I mean, all the time. All the time. And so he emphasizes prayer as the top thing. You could, you, all this armor and all this talk about the battle that we're in, if you're not a praying Christian, you're not going to survive. The Christian that lasts, the Christian that makes it to the end, is the praying Christian. Because that's the Christian that realizes that life is not about the do's and don'ts. That's religion. The Christian life is about connection with Christ, and that's total dependence. I need you, Jesus, to be a good dad. I need you to be a I need you to be a good wife, a good mom, a good husband, 
a good parent, a good student, a, a good, I need you to help me please you. I need you to be a worshiper. I need you. When I leave these doors, I'm going to go back to the grind and darts are going to be thrown at me by the enemy and I don't even see them. I'll just think it's a jerk boss. But no, it's a flaming arrow. Uh, I'll, I'll just think it's just, you know, my, my mom is a jerk. I'll never be able to work out that relationship. I hate her. No, that's a flaming arrow. Um, and when we start realizing that we're in a battle, in a war zone when we leave here, we go, oh my goodness, I need strength. I need power. And when you realize you need that and you can't provide it yourself, you pray. That's why when your kid is in the hospital, you pray. Because suddenly the doctors aren't gods anymore. Suddenly all their carbon dating and all their you know evolution, suddenly that doesn't even matter anymore. You start realizing we don't know anything. Cancer's been around forever. We, 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 you're just at a loss. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. And then suddenly we all become prayers. He's saying, guys, we need to realize this all the time, on all occasions, with all kinds of requests, realize that we can't do anything. We need God desperately, and we need to lean on Him, bank on Him. Uh, It's about survival. It's about survival. Um, Prayer is the difference maker. He says, praying at all times. What does that mean? Well, if you back up to verse 16, when he said, take up the shield of faith. Why do you take up the shield of faith? To extinguish all the flaming darts, right? This shield of faith, believing in God, putting your trust in God, believing his promises, extinguishes all the flaming arrows, all of them. No matter how powerful they are, no matter how strong the temptation, this shield of faith extinguishes all of them. Even the ones that are vices, even the ones that when temptation comes knocking, you feel like, man, I can't help. I'm a slave to it. I've got to open the door. I've got to click on this internet site or I've got to yell at my kid. I just can't help it. It's something that I do. No, there's power to conquer all of that. So every time a flaming arrow comes, all flaming darts, he says, verse 18, praying all the time, every time, each time. Each time there's a flaming dart. You pray. Each time there's an attack, you pray. How do we know there's an attack? Um, you know, you're driving down the road, you know, um, you're going to work, you get to work, you know, you, you drink your Starbucks and you get to your cubicle and you start. I mean, when, what, what, what is an attack? If you get an email that ticks you off, is that an attack? Uh, you know, your, your kids spilled, you know, juice in the carpet and now it stinks. I mean, is that an attack? What is, what is an attack? Like I shared with you before, I've got you know, family members that everything is an attack. This wasn't polished correctly. Oh, my goodness. Start rebuking the devil. Um, well, we don't want to be paranoid walking around like everything is the devil and, you know, your shirt's wrinkled and like, oh, I ironed it. It must be the devil, you know. Um, we don't want to be walk, you know, paranoid Christians walking around that there's a, a devil behind every bush. But most of us don't struggle with that. Most of us struggle with the opposite. It's not that we think the devil's behind every bush, it's that we think there is no devil. And that he's not behind any bush. He's not behind anything. There are no flaming arrows. There's just psychological weaknesses. I'm biologically and psychologically prone to drinking too much. No, it's a flaming arrow that the enemy is going to use to get you to do it. Hey, you might be predisposed to it more than someone else, but that just means that he knows where the hole is in your armor versus someone else that has a hole somewhere else. When we open our eyes and start realizing, okay, we're, we're in a battle. The enemy doesn't want me to be a true believer, a believing Christian, a believer that stands, makes it to the end, a true worshiping 
disciple of Christ. And you start going, okay, where are the flaming arrows? Where am I weak? You ever find yourself talking about something and somebody brings up a Bible verse and the first instinct is, shut up, don't tell me, don't start preaching to me. Right? That our instinct is, no, no, no. At church, we sing a few songs, the pastor preaches a sermon, but it's not directly at me because he's kind of looking around. Sometimes it feels like it's directed at me, but I'm not really sure, and that's okay. But honestly, if instead of, you know, 60 of you here or whatever it is, I grabbed one of you. I said, let me talk to you about flaming darts. You'd be like, what are you talking about? Why did you pick me? You know, um, when, when the word is directly at you, the wall goes up. Um, this is saying, guys, instead of putting the wall up, you need to pray about it. Not just when somebody says something to you, but, you know, that voice in your head or the spirit saying, hey, tapping you, saying, hey, this isn't right. This is a weakness. If somebody calls you out on something or you're sitting here and God is bringing to your mind something, you're, you're doing something, there's things that, that, the, that the enemy is getting you to trip up on all the time, the spirit is saying, hey, you need to do something about this. And then you go, well, I've tried and I can't. He says, exactly. The reason why you don't pray is because you keep trying yourself. The reason why I don't like to pray, I didn't even plan this in my notes. This is just, what notes? But this is just, uh, this is just off, you know, me bearing my heart. I'm the type of guy that likes to do something about it. I think a lot of guys are like that. You know, the wife, you come home and the wife tells you, you know, I, Sally wrote me, she Facebooked me, she poked me, she whatever, tweeted me, and Google plused me, whatever. And, you know, she started telling me about these issues and stuff. And if you're like me, I'm like, well, what Sally needs to do is A, B, and C. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like, stop solving everything. Everything's not a house that needs to be fixed or whatever. It's like, I, I want to solve it. I want to fix it. What are we supposed to do about it? I don't like to stand around and just go, wow, okay, let's do something about it. Let's get an action plan together. Let's fix it. Um, I want to do something. I want to, I want to do something that I can do tangible. It's my responsibility and I can take care of it. But prayer is the opposite. Prayer is coming to God and saying, God, I can't do this. I need you to do it. When you think you can do it, why pray? When I come to that point where I realize I can't do this, this is totally out of my hands. I have no way of dealing with this. I have no way of surviving this. Then I fall on my knees in prayer. If I just think back in my own personal life, the times where I've been the most intense in prayer, those have been the times where I felt the weakest, I felt at the end of my rope, I felt like there's nothing else I can do, and I think God wanted me there to pray in that way. And what Paul is saying is, guys, instead of waiting for that mountaintop experience where you hit that valley and you have a real hard time, and you hit that mountaintop of just prayer with God and you're just pouring yourself out to God because time, the time is so difficult in your life, that's a good thing. But he's saying, in the in-between time, watch out for flaming arrows and pray every time. Every arrow, you pray. You pray against that. How do we recognize it? Listen to what he says. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert with all perseverance. Um, the key to prayer, the key to consistent prayer, the key to prayer that's all the time is being alert. When you see a flaming arrow come, you pray. 
The more you kind of ignore stuff, ah, they're not flaming arrows, I'm just like that. Oh, my dad was like that, I'm like that, what are you going to do? And say, go, wait a minute, this, this is a flaming arrow here because it's causing me to stumble. This, this pleases the Lord. And then you go, well, I can't, can't do about anything about it. And there's all these lies in my head like this genetically, you know, imputed to me from my parents. And what are you going to do? It's just like this. Or I can't help it. My husband doesn't change. So I just, he's a jerk. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? All these lies that we have to say, you know what? I have to put the shield of faith up and pray. You don't just go, okay, I'm going to believe it today. Good. I'm good to go. Let's go. Now you have to maybe linger there for a minute. Lord, I'm going to go to work. And uh, there's a really fine line between me just doing my job and choking my boss. Uh, please help me. You know, please help me. Um, it's, it's two kinds of prayers. There's two kinds of prayer that uh, this, I think, is calling us to, to keep alert, to keep alert. Um, one of them is what we normally would call quiet times or devotionals. You know, you have a regular time where you say, I'm going to take time out and I'm going to concentrate. I'm going to pray. Here's my prayer request. Here are the things I'm going to pray about. And I'm going to spend some time here to pray. That's good. And the other time is just in the moment. You know, in the moment. You're pulling into Speedway. Someone cuts you off. You suddenly, you know, everything, the adrenaline starts kicking in. And you want to tell that person, let's meet in the back behind the dumpster and we'll solve this. This, this is coming up. Right there, you recognize flaming arrow. And you say, you know what? God, please... Help me right now in the moment. You know, instead of stuffing prayer just into a weekly or a daily compartment, it stays with you. It goes with you. I once met a lady in New Jersey who refused to end her prayers with amen. I said, well, why? Because amen kind of closes the door. Okay, God, I'll be right back. And we go about our day. And then, oh, life is hard. Maybe today at 2 I could talk to God again. Come back. God, you're still there, right? Okay, anyway, listen. So I had this day. She didn't want to do that. She said, instead of saying amen, she just kind of left it open-ended because, you know, they're at the table, and the Lord, thank you for this food. All right, guys, let's eat. Well, that's weird. Where's the amen? Well, we're still praying. So tell me about your day. <laughs> She's praying for you while you're talking. I don't know. I mean, it, it, I say amen. But the point is granted, that we don't stuff it in a corner and say, okay, that's prayer for the day. Now let me go live my life detached. No, attached. And you take it with you. And in the moment, Pray. Prayer is not, uh, you don't need beads, you don't need a mat, you don't need to figure out where's east. Pray is talk to God. He's omniscient, He's all-knowing. And right there in the moment, in your head, while you're driving, in the split second before someone's cutting you off, you say, you know, it's not a cuss word to say, oh God, oh God, you know, oh, I, I cussed. Not if you were actually calling on God, you didn't. You know, God, the, the name, the word God is not a cuss word, you know, call on Him. Calling him. Um, he's saying we need to live a kind of prayer, guys, that is yes, we take time out for it, but it's also intentionally staying alert to flaming arrows to lift up prayers to him in preparation. I want to leave one more uh, example before we take communion. Um, I would like to hear uh, more of you taking up if you don't already, the discipline of journaling. Um, I'm not a big journaler uh, because I always think of it as sort of a diary, and that's just kind of just, I don't know, feminine or kitty or something. Like, I've got a diary. It's got a cute little lock on it, too, and it's got G.I. Joe's on the front. I don't know. Um, but I, I do now more often 
journal. Here's why. When I'm sitting and in my office and I'm praying, my mind just starts wandering. And I'm kind of more of an abstract thinker. I, I, really, I failed math. It was horrible. Um, numbers and logic and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I don't get it. But, you know, just thoughts and thinking. I'm always thinking. Um, and when I'm praying, it's kind of like I'm praying about this. And, oh, yeah, that. And, oh, yeah, this over here. And, and I don't remember what even started me praying in the beginning. I find that when I journal, I can just, I have a pen. And it's like, all right, I'm going to jot something down. This is a prayer. What am I jotting down? Now I have to think. And if I have to think before I pray, if I have to think what I'm going to say when I pray, I've got to think, well, what is prompting me to pray? What's going on in my life? And I write down, okay, I'm, I'm scared. I'm anxious. I'm stressed. I'm angry. I'm whatever. Okay, this is what I'm... And as you're writing it, the Spirit is just, you know, well, why? Why, why is that the case? And you, you start writing, oh, Lord, I think I'm afraid because this and that. And it's confession, and you're putting it down ink to paper, and it's causing you to think. Other people, you know, maybe they don't use journals, but I've heard of people literally use objects. Uh, one, I was reading a book, and one guy, uh, he sits in front of, um, he sits in his office, and he's got a shepherd's crook and like a, a crown of thorns. I think it's a little bit corny, but for him, he's like, if I'm tangibly holding something that reminds me of who I'm talking to, it keeps me engaged. If not, I'm, my mind is all over the place. One guy, he opens his window in the morning and watches the sunrise. It just reminds him the signature of God, the Creator, and it helps him concentrate on who he's praying to. So when we have those time-out time kind of prayers, whatever keeps you engaged, keeps you thinking about what are flaming arrows, what are flaming darts in my life, so I can, so I can do something about it. As I think too many of us have, we've arrived. We've arrived. When we first became Christian, we quit smoking, we quit drinking, whatever, but, but you know, for the rest of my life, I'll hate my dad. No, I mean, the progress has to keep going. And you have to keep yourself in check and allow the Spirit to say, you, you, these things are, you've done these things and that's great. Now you've got to do this. Now you've got to come up here. Well, that's because he's a pastor and okay, I get it. Not because I'm a pastor. We're, we're Christians. I was on the phone with a, a cousin one day and I said, hey man, you know, called him out on something. He goes, yeah, but you know what? You're, you're like a pastor. So like you've got to be holy like up here. And so that's my excuse to remain down here. And I'm like, that's, that's not how it works, man. You know, I'm, I, you know, I'm not any holier than anyone else. We all need the cross. We all need to pray because we're desperate for him. The ultimate symbol of the fact that you can't do anything about the darts is the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't have one in here. Um, we all know what a cross looks like, um, what it is. And to be quite honest, many times our crosses are way too polished and nicely stained. Um, it's a dirty, gritty um, if we were to contemporize it, we'd have an electric chair with the leather straps and everything, just, and we'd be singing around that, and we'd be wearing that around our necks, and that'd be hanging, dangling from our rearview mirror, an electric chair hanging. Oh, that's kind of gross. It's a cross. It wasn't polished. It wasn't made of gold. And he took that punishment because we couldn't pave our own way. The problem is that Christians come to an altar call, to a Christian camp, their grandma led them to Christ by their bedside when they were four. Um, and they get the cross to enter the kingdom, but they don't get staying at the cross to survive. Always going back to the cross, Jesus, I'm praying because I need you. If I looked in the mirror and I see my teeth are coming out, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm losing my teeth. I'm only in my 30s. And then I go to the dentist, and they're like, I told you to floss. 
I'm going to go to Costco and buy the big thing of floss. I'll be walking around the house flossing because I see how des- the desperation of it. Don't wait till that point. Uh, pray because you know it's, it's, it's survival for you. I'm going to ask the, the elders to come forward. And communion is a, is a time to reflect on exactly that.